0: Recording now
1: well. recording. Hello. How are you this fine evening? Getting
0: a kitty. uh, Sitting, staring at the... My bedroom is such a weird... I'm actually... If the audio gets janky in places, I'm sorry. I literally threw out my... Com- well, you threw out my computer chair because my horrible cat son fucking they i put a heating pan on it to help with my back this was maybe the dumbest decision i've ever made in my life because it culminated in about a three-month affair where when i tell you i literally could not use my chair because they would fight over the chance to be sitting on it and if i sat down on it they would just pace in front of my computer until i got up so that they could sit on the heating pad and i just had to eventually get rid of the heating pad because they're jerks because they're horrible jerks but the amount of fighting and climbing and fucking around that they did on the chair meant that the chair broke so i just finally got rid of it which base, which means that i'm sitting on my bed and the microphone is popped propped up on a stack of some leftover books and a dnd starter kit that my mom got me for christmas so sound pretty good to me though so that's good ari is yeah. preparing to move, move. I mean we are pretty much at this point collectively <laughs> preparing to move.
1: Yeah, so we're like live. At the communism scene. Meme,
0: we are moving.
1: <laughs> uh tell me, tell me, how how are the feelings? How are the emotions? Are tensions high or tensions low?
0: Listen, relationship make- survived a trip to IKEA. I this is a milestone. Um I consider that a success. Um especially when the Swedish furniture fern- 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 yale, however the hell Trixie says it. Um, the Swedish furniture, Yale. Thank uh, you,
1: Swedish furniture. Also something someone has
0: Matthias saved in their phone ass. <laughs> okay, so speaking of, I was like, is this a fan? I was like, it's a Swedish people, it doesn't count. So like my mom does this book club at the library. and Swedish furniture, Yale. This, this will this will make sense in a second. My mom does this book club at the library. And sometimes mm-hmm. I have to give the books to her because one of the other people who's in the book club is a mom for one of the kids at work. And so she just gives it to me. And I'm just like, okay, I'll bring some of my mom. I also just realized as I'm telling you the story that I did not give it to my mom. And I should probably uh, do that. But... I'll do that in a second. Um, in any case, so I was reading the book. It's a book by Philip Roth about, like, the summer in Newark, New Jersey, and the polio outbreak. And I'm sure they're reading it because it's, like, relevant to COVID. So I'm, I'm sure that's going to be the theme of the discussion. But, mm. like, there's a sequence early on in the book. Because it's in a predominantly Jewish neighborhood. There's a sequence early on in the book. Is Philip Roth
1: who's the one who wrote the um thing about Lindenberg because of the president that they made into the HBO miniseries?
0: I don't know.
1: Hold on. Let me, let me look. Is that the man in the high castle? No, that's a totally different. That's not written, I think, by a Jewish person, which is why we don't like it. Um...
0: Yeah. That's more than fair. Yeah, the plot against America. That is him. Yes. Okay. But there was like, there was like this sequence where these like 10 Italian men pull up. And start because like the protagonist is in charge of like a playground full of children because he can't go to the war because none of this matters. So he's like protecting all these kids. and so That's really an important part. And so like they start because there's a polio outbreak and everyone's like all paranoid that it's coming from the Italian neighborhood. And there's like a ton of attention paid to them spitting on the ground and like talking about how they're spreading polio and, like, the protagonist is, like, later on when people are, like, oh, that's those dirty fucking Italians spreading polio. The protagonist is, like, I don't think that's it. We don't really know how polio works. But, like, I was reading this book and I got about 80 pages in because I read very quickly and it was a small book. And I'm just, like, I actually was genuinely kind of uncomfortable <laughs> with the level of contempt like, towards Italians, Americans, Or I'm just, like, okay. All right.
1: And let's see if we can't reach that level tonight. Um...
0: Yeah, I think in terms of contempt for Italian, and I mean not like in a way where I'm like, now I understand because I'm not a fucking idiot, but it was like a weird level of like, just they they use like the dag dagos da- dagos whatever the fuck, and I'm like. Jesus like it was like that level of like oh damn I didn't I've because because racism against Italians isn't real except I perpetuate it every day but like it, also, it was just like this weird like contempt and hatred you know Tim's or, dad had polio yeah and I mean like listen it wasn't that long ago and back then he, he married and then
1: he married an Italian-American so so you know it just goes to, to show you indeed. racism is over against Italian well
0: yeah absolutely
1: but, but it, it was just like, five dollars
0: a day We can change that. (laughs) It was, I was just, I was just taken aback. I've never seen it in a work of fiction before because it's not really an issue. People really have to, no one's writing the plight of the Italian American. But like, it was really weird. I was like kind of uncomfortable because I didn't know if the author like actually really hated Italians like that. Or if it was like, I'm just like, are we, are we good? Like, how am I supposed to be feeling about this? What's going on? It was weird. It was polio weird. Polio airborne? I think so. Yes. Um, I actually was reading it and I'm like, oh, one, oh shit, we didn't know how people got polio. That would explain why everybody was so paranoid. And two, I don't know shit about how polio works because by the time I was born, I was ni- I'm a 94 kid. I didn't fucking.
1: Yep. No. Um, my grandfather and his younger brother, I think avoided polio because they basically were not like allowed to go to the movies or any of yeah, those. Hold things? on. I'm actually googling is polio airborne because now I'm curious. Because he was born in 32, but his mom was a super paranoid depressive who never let them yep. go outside and like that's that's very bad for your children, but actually in the case of polio, it's great for your
0: children. Yeah, technically. Emotionally, it's garden for life. Polio-wise, never better. Yes. Okay. So, um it does seem polio polio virus is very contagious and spreads through person-in-person contact it enters the body through the mouth and spreads through contact with feces uh or droplets from a sneeze or cough of yep. an infected person so yes it is airborne
1: i mean when you said it spreads i'm just thinking about how typhoid mary didn't wash her hands enough and that's how typhus spreads so <laughs> Uh, but but that's not to say typhus also spreads in places where washing your hands is not available and that is not on the fault of the people in that situation
0: yes that's just an unfortunate um, reality of
1: for example Anne Frank died of typhus and if you look at those Joe Biden now Joe Biden funded uh, camps we have at the border there is typhus in there as well hooray because it just like, wants to spread. So.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of diseases that we don't really come into contact on a day to day basis by the grace of like general sanitation practices. And the second that those go out the window, we start having diseases again. Um,
1: everybody should be entitled to clean water and general sanitation practices. When they are not, it is an act of genocide.
0: Yeah. And I know, it, like, that, that might seem put again, as we just said and frank fucking died of typhus so let's yeah, go to that episode yeah yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> well what a fun opening this has been
0: Okay, so (laughs) we zigged zigged and we zagged a lot on that one. That was, (laughs) that was a lot. Do you want to try a different opening? Because I do have an idea. No, I mean, we can, I mean, we can, if you want to do, if you want to do, we'll do first cold open, second cold open. You can also cut some of that. I was mostly telling the story you asked how my day was. And I was like, well, that's actually kind of what happened during my day. Um, The other thing that happened. No, well, just reading the racism. Oh, yeah. (laughs) get Italian, <laughs> but no, I feel
1: uncomfortable I'm pretty sure that. my Nana got scarlet fever because she had kidney problems as an no, elderly. Shetley, person. Literally,
0: one of my kids at work got scarlet fever, and I had to do a double take because I literally only ever heard about that happening in stories. Please vaccinate your children, please. Like, like so literally, I, please I, I oh, where's where's you- so and so? And they were like, oh, uh, he has scarlet fever, and I was like, wait. Really? You're gonna get
1: rubella next? Like I know. I mean, this is the it's thing. Fine, these, fine. Are, these are diseases that people um get, especially now in America, that we're not vaccinating, and they get in countries because we hoard all of our fucking vaccines,
0: and then no one uses them, which is just that the could be problem.
1: eliminated if we were to share our fucking vaccines.
0: Please. So um,
1: remember to call your congressperson and tell them not just to share the COVID vaccine, but to make a general policy of sharing
0: all of our vaccines all over the world. make the patents open source, motherfucker. Like, God damn it. Um, My That's hope big is that one. as we're <sighs> now seeing a lot of fast food and fast casual workers going like, actually, fuck this about their jobs. Um, I'm hoping we see a lot more understanding of like, the politics behind who does and doesn't get a vaccine with this COVID rollout um, and people maybe give a thought to people in other countries. Those are dope as fuck. Um, Thank you.
1: I sent Ari a tattoo picture. Yeah.
0: Sorry. On a lighter note, because I know we keep zigging and zagging, but like another thing that happened to me today is there's this baby at work and it's so sad to be like, I love this baby because I'm literally leaving in four days. And so I will not see this baby again um, for another couple of months. I'll come back and visit. Cause it's, you know, the, but like, so I didn't know that he is the younger brother of one of the kids I had in like my first pre-K class at that school. And cuz I bounced from our first location to our second location just because it was closer and easier to drive to. So I was like, "Oh my god, he's, you know, um her brother." And I happened to run into her mom as she was picking up the baby. I was like, "Oh my god, how's the how's the kid?" And she showed me a picture. And I, this child is so tall now, because she did that thing that little girls do, like, that I did, where you just, like, you just shoot up to your, like, for, like, you're, like, five eight by the time you're 10. This did not happen tall. to me. Yeah. she She's 10 now. And, I mean, I know intellectually that, like, 5 plus 5 equals 10. But, like, I don't think wait, about wait, it. Wait, 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 wait. Walk me back through that one. Yeah, I hate it. Because she was five when she was in my pre-K class. And then five years have gone by. I had, wasn't working there full time for five years. I was in college for most of that. But like, I would work in the summers and I would work in the winters. So I still was with this child. Um And when I, I mean, I joke a lot about feeling old. But seeing this child who you knew as like a very small child be suddenly this incredibly big 10-year-old and you're like, Oh my god, the flesh is literally fucking clean, rotting off of my body. Um Yeah, that was a lot. But it was I'm really glad they're all doing well. I loved her mom. It was good to see her again. She was always a riot. Uh some parents are really cool to talk to. Some parents are fucking crazy. That's just life. Um, but yeah, that was the other that was the other highlight of my day.
1: Wow. Well, um, I guess in terms of talking about yeah we disease, can
0: cut some of this this is mostly me telling
1: you about my day no i mean it's all good it's all good content if we're talking Take about disease consumption we should get to this week's dc's legends of tomorrow
0: speaking of a plague unto our houses
1: jesus christ and, and is it less funny this year is it more funny i'll let is you it judge it's, <laughs> up. it's up to your personal taste it's the sixth episode of the second season. Nope, strike that. Reverse it. It's the second episode of, the, sixth <laughs> of, of the second episode of the sixth season. We would not be having this good of a time. Um, waiting for zado which is which is a, which is a single reference to one thing that happens at the end of the episode.
0: But it's really it doesn't matter. It doesn't. It's really good.
1: Oh, um, read... we
0: just we just had to do it. Um, now, Ari, did I you watch the episode? No. Yes. I think I read Waiting for Godot in my, oh, I think my sophomore year of Uh-oh. high school.
1: No, Tarazi, don't sniff the microphone. No,
0: Phil was doing that before. No, you do
1: not bop microphone with your head.
0: Yes, she has to serve her dominance. Um, Over she's so the microphone. Sorry. And that other cat. <laughs> Who is he? But, um... I read it in sophomore year of high school because I knew that the teacher that I had both sophomore and senior year read it with the senior year kids. And so I was like, well, I'm going to read it early. And I got a copy from the library and I sat down and I read it and I went, well, what the fuck was that? Um, And then I read it senior year and I was still like, well, what the fuck was that? But also I get the genre of play that this exists exists in and what this is and why it is like this and what it's a commentary on. Um, I still haven't seen it performed. I would like to see it performed someday. That would be pretty cool. You could argue that we're uh Vladimir and Estragon ourselves just fucking around waiting for the show I to get. I know good.
1: I had to read Waiting for Godot for a class, and we talked about how it's performed because um that's how you have to do things that oh yeah, okay, here's some news. For my birthday, I ordered myself a class ring finally. Oh good. That's very nice. Um and so because I went to fucking NYU, we of course have to discuss, well, like, how is Waiting for Godot performed? And apparently Beckett actually does have a really specific way he wants it performed. That well, yeah, Some, like, people, some people like it and some people don't. And I'm kind of like,
0: well, here's the thing. Is Waiting for Godot that good that he deserves to be listened to? Samuel Beckett is interesting in, his, in the context of his an- analyzing his relationship to Joyce which he sort of lampoons in a play that we also read that I cannot remember the name of. And now I am pissed. I remember the content of the play. I remember one of the characters with the name Ham. And like, it's basically a play about a blind man and his companion at the end of the world surviving in the apocalypse together. And okay. yeah, but like, so Samuel, for some context as to why all that is, James Joyce was pretty much like, blind like he started out with poor eyesight and then by the time he was writing like Ulysses and Finnegan's Wake he was pretty much fucking blind so what he did was he hand wrote it but he didn't hand write it because he couldn't fucking see so a lot of the person who did the dictation was Samuel Beckett and so they were really- dictation, Samuel Beckett wrote it. Yeah well I mean J- James Joyce literally narrated it out loud and Samuel Beckett would read it which I'm actually like honestly- not a bad way to do a stream of consciousness. And so they were best frenemies, basically. Uh, they fought constantly, but also Beckett felt indebted to him, but also felt like James ghost of
1: Samuel funny. Beckett. What are you yeah. doing here?
0: So I know that this has nothing to do with the episode, but it's also just an interesting relationship, especially in the context of the expatriates, where I worked the Shakespeare and company crew that I always found really interesting um, through the 20s and 30s. Uh, that I did you a lot. of mean, the people that vomit. we glanced at in season four and then never elaborated on. I was. I think I may have actually vented about how mad I was about that. Then, I believe too, you did because I was really pissed about it. Um, so, cat- what was this episode? Well, I'm going to give some caveats. Um, meat. Meat.
1: Number one, there was a scene. Um, if you're someone who is afraid of vomit, um, and you haven't watched this episode yet,
0: don't. Hold on, I'm sorry. I'm trying to decipher my partner's charades. Are you, like, jerking your throat off? What is this? <laughs> I was making a jack-off motion. For with me. your throat? <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? I thought you were doing a jack-off motion with your
1: fucking throat. You popped your cheek. <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? Ow, cat! <laughs> my <laughs> What the
0: fuck? <laughs> Hold on, cat is she has to be she has a no don't walk on my laptop i moved it so you wouldn't walk on it you fucking demon okay sorry so yeah vomit vomit is uh
1: ugh. vomit plays a vom- vomit plays a key role this week um, and also if you're someone with food weirdness or you don't like how john waters shoots his projects you're gonna have a hard time
0: Yes, I am actually looking up. There's a school of art that John Waters belongs to specifically that I had bookmarked as a reference to study. This was actually before I read this. This was when I was studying um, his role in the 70s queer counterculture movement. So I am digging that up now, which means I have to hold my... So
1: this episode, um, I was at my mom's yesterday for Mother's Day, and we got Thai food, but it took a really long time for the order, just because obviously it's a holiday, so... I had the episode on pause and then we ate and then I watched it. So I was able to fast forward through all of Sarah and Gary's scenes. So I don't really know what happened with
0: them. And I don't really care. Amelia Earhart. I, I mean, it's, it's one of those things. I do want to say briefly, I'm I, a little annoyed that they're wasting like fun historical characters on this like lost in space bullshit. Where well, it's it like,
1: turns out I think it wasn't Amelia Earhart. It was uh,
0: another oh, no, alien but, like, that was trying to eat
1: they, them. And like, listen.
0: Filled their Amelia Earhart requirement now. Basically, how is this? I'm so
1: pissed. amelia Earhart was eaten by crabs. I'm sorry to tell everybody this. I'm sorry you had to yeah. hear it from me, but that's it's what happened. Rough. She was probably dead before the crabs ate her. I want to stress that. I don't know if that helps, yeah. but
0: yeah, I'm I hope it does. Time- this At- is a dark. This is a dark episode. This is dark. getting dark. I'm just googling John Waters. I'm gonna find this because I'm pissed off that I, I know I saved it. So I'm just looking up John Waters and digging up the school of, of like he literally. And it's not. It was an art collective more than it was a school. Um, Cinema of Transgression. Fuck you. There we go. Okay. Um. So I'm gonna talk about if I can do that for a hot second. Um. I'm the most. Uh, pretentious fucking person on the planet earth. I mean it's um, not like we
1: titled our episode Waiting for Zado or anything. It's not like we just spoke oh, about you know, waiting for Godot or, or anything. Though, are we are
0: we arguably not DD and Gogo fucking doing this forever? That's actually one of the things I thought really interesting about the play is the well one of the big characteristics of theater so and Joyce great.
1: are supposed to be
0: Oh, absolutely! A lot.
1: Of and I weird- just currently, my mood has now gone from oh, haha, to that image of the anime girl, and it just says I'm about to say a homophobic slur.
0: I mean, yeah, that's fair. Um, so I old, please. Um, so I also just realized that I'm like, actually, people might not know what the fuck style of theater I was referring to when I said, "Oh, this is this." Waiting for Godot is a play that is a very specific genre with some very specific tenets called Theater of the Absurd. We did a lot of Theater of the Absurd in my senior year of high school plays, so I can talk about this for length. I'm not going to, but like Eugene Ionesco, Samuel Beckett. If um, Legends Fucks Up Enough, So Help Us God. Seriously. Um, this will be a
1: nonstop Theater of the Absurd episode. It always and is. We'll um, have to sit through
0: Mario- it. Mario, so the guy who wrote six characters in search, search of it all. It's author. a me, Mario,
1: wrote Waiting for Godot?
0: No, different, <laughs> yes, different Mario and Luigi. It's um, a me,
1: Mario, caused yes. typhus? Wait, yes. no, not the other one. Polio?
0: <laughs> I think I have, I think I have heard of Lydia Lunch in a queer studies class. That, that name pinged a bell for me. Who in the late 70s, 1970s and mid-1980s, began to make very low budget films using cheap 8 millimeter cameras. Um, the Z outlined his philosophy on the cinema of transgression in the cinema of transgression manifesto published under the name Orion Ryan Jericho and Zine, the underground film bulletin. I am, I guess, going to have to go read that. Unfortunately, I did not have time to read it, um, for this because I'm moving, but maybe I'll do it over the week and report back to you guys next week. It doesn't matter. If you haven't heard of John Waters, um, you. There would be no hairspray without him. There would be no Hairspray without him. There would not be, we would not have modern drag if we did not have John Waters. John Waters exists at this really interesting point in queer culture that I think sort of gets lost under the grief and genocide of AIDS. And it's not, that's not the 70s fault by any stretch of the means. But there's also sort of a tragedy to the fact that in the 70s, there was a lot more, filmmaking became a lot more accessible in those in the 60s and the 70s, due to the like cheaper handheld cameras becoming more widely commercially available. Um, and immediately following the Stonewall riots, there was a significant political push for queer liberation. And without the specter of AIDS sort of taking up everyone's political attention and activism, um, strides were being made culturally for a brief moment in time. So you did have stuff like John Waters. Uh, body of work sort of pushing those boundaries um, and revelling in filth and I actually think there is a lot of value um, I was going to
1: bring in filth
0: actually because
1: filth is- I think something that is so there are two things about this episode that I'm going to want us to sort of go into and like who can tell I didn't watch the Gary scenes because I know they used the word savage at some point and it was probably inappropriate and they probably did something bad about Gary's Uh, anti-semitism and then adam uh, established in an interview that gary comes from a planet that after men you were like honey is this
0: transphobic and i was like i don't
1: think they thought um after consulting zach he he was like it seems he's like i reread it and it seems more like the men are supposed to like it's basically it's literally just shot for shot like a black widow spider okay produce your you know fertilizer then you're gonna die immediately yes So I guess we fucking did it.
0: praying mantis do this also. Um, But you know what, Gary's
1: never going to be a praying mantis. He doesn't anyway. The only way to restore liberation to Jewish LGBT people is to kill Gary Green.
0: Now, this may be
1: a controversial (laughs) take, however, I'm the one saying it,
0: so it's fine. Speaking of, the, uh, the uh, political statement in uh, Pink Flamingos when they're asking Divine what her politics are, she's like, kill everyone now. And that's really me at Legends at God. this
1: point. Oh my God, if that's, that's literally us, Jesus Christ. At this point. With so these the two fucking- points, because there are two things in this episode that are very John Waters that I don't think they were allowed to lean into as much as they wanted to. Yeah. And the first thing is gender. And the second thing is filth. Like, little, hold
0: on, kitty in the litter box. Kitty in the box, kitty in the box. Kitty in the box, yeah. Kitty in the litter box, you must respect his
1: privacy. Okay, so please continue.
0: Okay, so because it's not super long, I'm just going to read the manifesto because, fuck it. I think I think it's important to under, I'm actually, okay, just so we're not here for the rest of our lives. I'm going to read, uh last two paragraphs because I think the last two paragraphs are the really relevant ones to this discussion and how we interpret this episode uh this is from the cinema transgression manifesto by Nick Zad as I said before we propose that all film schools be blown up and all boring films never be made again we propose that a sense of humor is an essential element discarded by the doddering academics and further that any film which doesn't shock isn't worth looking at all values must be challenged. Nothing is sacred. Everything must be questioned and reassessed in order to free our minds from the faith of tradition. Intellectual growth demands that risks be taken and changes occur in political, sexual, and aesthetic alignments no matter who disapproves. We propose to go beyond all limits set or prescribed by taste, morality, or any other traditional value system shackling the minds of men we pass beyond and go over the boundaries of millimeters screens and projectors to a state of expanded cinema we violate the command and law that we bore audiences to death in rituals of circumlocution and propose to break all the taboos of our age by sinning as much as possible there will be blood shame pain and ecstasy the likes of which no one has yet imagined None shall emerge unscathed. Since there is no afterlife, the only hell is the hell of praying, obeying laws, and debasing yourself before authority figures. The only heaven is the heaven of sin, being rebellious, having fun, fucking, learning new things, and breaking as many rules as you can. This act of courage is known as transgression. We propose transformation through transgression to convert, transfigure, and transmute into a higher plane of existence in order to approach freedom in a world full of unknowing slaves. Imagine how good Legends would be if it actually did that. That's, I think, the thing is, I'm like, okay, so I was actually, I've literally been like, okay, so where does this episode fall short on that? And this is not the fault of the director. Well, that's kind of the problem is you hit a point where they're just, like, afraid to do this, and I'm trying to, here we go.
1: Well, because, you know, I think about how we talk about how Ava Lance is so clearly assimilation and not liberation, and how this episode you got a lot of, like, Ava being like, oh, Sarah's my wife, Sarah's my fiancé. And like how the assimilationist queer viewpoint is sort of the only one that gets seen on TV. Yes.
0: And I will say and wife, I mean, uh, sorry, not that, that is not, that is just standard, but like her wife and his husband are healing words. There's nothing wrong with wanting marriage. I love marriage. And I do want to clarify. And I was actually a friend saying something today where I'm like, um, Assimilation also is a different concept for trans people. As I true. see a lot of people, whenever anyone's like, oh, I want bottom surgery, especially people like, so you're an assimilate. And it's like, no, no, I just can't stand looking at myself in the fucking mirror and I have body parts that are causing me constant fucking distress. <sighs> Can I help you, bitch? And that's a whole other kettle of fish. So when we talk about assimilationism, we're literally talking about like cis white gays aspiring to become normal in the way that like heteronormative cishet couples are. Tran- the, yeah. the the idea of trans assimilationism is a thornier question we are setting aside for another we're time.
1: talking about how Sarah and Ava are basically Ellen.
0: Yes. And it's kind of a shame because if Ava was trans, canonically you could do something with the fact that like yeah. that how those desire how that desire bascal like you could do you could do any, you could do something. You could really fundamentally you could just do fucking something. Which is another complaint I have about certain aspects of this episode that I'll get to later. Where it's like, just do something! Yeah, this whole episode
1: was sort of, I think, to establish Spooner as a character, which is, like, fine. Yeah. But you had Spooner, who was dressed in a very butch way and who is not white. And then you had Ava kind of... I mean, I appreciate that Ava at the end of the episode was like, hey, I was being hard on you, I'm very stressed. Because she was, but what really pisses me off is like fans of Ava's who are like, wow, I can't believe who are, who very gleefully liked seeing Ava tell Spooner to shut up and like be mean to her because she was saying Sarah was dead. And I'm like, well, that one misunderstands the entire purpose of what Ava went through this episode. And two goes right back to that. Like, because you can even see today, this idea of like filth, the theater of filth is so shied away from from so many communities because, like, oh, straight people won't like us if we do that.
0: She felt like... Fuck it. No cops, and it's no very much like, after.
1: oh, look at look at this non-white character dressed in an extremely butch way, and look at how Ava, who is not butch, and who is in the show, very cis, Um, look at how Ava, like, puts her in her place. And that is so... And tip, like, and again, Ava learns her lesson. She learns, she's realizing that she's having a hard time. Spooner realizes that Ava's having a hard time. It's more about Ava's emotional growth. But like, God, just the way that like, I think if we speak about white sapphics TMTM, which are something both of us are technically, but when we talk about the white sapphic community TMTM, the lack of actual queer history and thought is almost astonishing
0: well they basically a lot of this because stuff it, is, it's, even when it's being written well is being written as we're basically writing a cishet relationship we're just swapping the genders of one of the people involved and you're just like no i don't want that on a slightly less heavy note did you know that john waters was an alvin and the chipmunks the road chip
1: did you know my dad actually met John Waters in a car once? There's a photo of him that with John Waters. Yeah, my dad was a big John Waters fan. I don't know how I my dad? Believe. I don't know how my dad ended up either being next to or experiencing a bunch of queer movements. I think it's because he went to Hampshire, so he was just kind of
0: there. I, yeah, I could believe that. Um, that but, is, I was just like, what? He was on some stuff yeah. that makes a little more sense he was also on fish hooks which was a cartoon show that i never watched it was like on disney xd um also in uh clarence and that mickey mouse reboot uh and some stuff that makes more sense but i was just like huh he's I guess been we- in rupaul's drag race uh, well that just like that makes sense it's like yes john first off if john water said anything negative about my drag i would just kill myself live on stage um but uh that makes sense like that's where he's kind of supposed to be it's like that that's a frog on a lily pad kind of scenario it's like yeah of course you're there because duh um oh and john waters
1: is here everybody before fourth- yeah wait like, the course. first goes of john waters john waters isn't dead i emote the emotion <laughs> I mean, and then john waters, the of john waters smoking a cigarette john waters Next to Truman Capote's Forest Ghost and going, I mean, I'd rather be dead than being than be seen alive on this show.
0: I mean, yeah, me that was be- was
1: he ever on an episode of Gossip Girl? Now I need to know.
0: He wasn't. I'm checking because I happened because I was looking for the Cinema of Transgression thing. So I was like, let me just check his Wikipedia. No, again. he was never on Gossip he, Girl. He was never on Gossip Girl. He was on Law and Order SVU because I think I think I may have cameoed on Law and Order SVU at this point. No, I was
1: I was in an episode of Law & Order SVU, but I did actually do that crime. Okay, so maybe that was the news.
0: Oh, God. I Um, was
1: wanted for murder on an episode of Law & Order SVU.
0: Well, they don't do SVU with, like, sex crimes only, I think. I thought there was murder involved. Why am I going to watch a show? There's usually murder, but, like, it's, like, sex crime that... Hey, you got an armored egg. Congratulations. Sex crimes that lead to murder that leads to cat. Cat doesn't lead to the cat um but um i like that his wikipedia entry bothers mentioning that mentioning that he's gay rather than just like yeah Uh, i sure hope it does i mean duh i do want to talk about something very specific about his films though because they're all in baltimore but uh, also, a lot of them are very specifically set in a working class neighborhood. To take a hard swing left back to talking about filmography <laughs> and talking about Spooner, because like when we saw Spooner's house, so we are going to tie this back into Legends. Ava, despite not really having like a past, so to speak of, when we see her like fake made up past, like her parents are very clearly like upper middle class suburbanites. Yep. Um, that kind of like wealthy white sapphic. Um, and Spooner is supposed to kind of be like living in like a what's like a television's idea of a trailer park not literally because they didn't couldn't design a set like that but like she's supposed it's also
1: very much television's idea of like being off the grid
0: yes and does not just, done very well and, yeah not done very well because it's legends but like yeah so there's 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 that angle as well but um, I also wanted to talk about that in the context of like a lot of John Waters films are set in a very working class neighborhood specifically because that's part of like the fucking with social norms where it's like, hey, what if we made cinema that wasn't just about pretty people in middle to upper middle class lives? Um, And I think that's important also to kind of talk about when we talk about how this, Episode had that sort of dynamic between Spooter and Ava, but also that dynamic in terms of like sort of uh, this is more about like the 50s kitsch stuff, but like they're all working like a fast food job, and that sort of seemed mm-hmm. like a lower class like that's about as close to working class as w- and class commentary we were going to get in this episode. So, sure,
1: I'm giving. I completely have taken all class commentary away from John Constantine as a character. Which I actually, if they if they were a good show, they could do something very interesting with John Constantine's class commentary and that clashing with his feelings for Zari. Oh absolutely. But we're not- we're not going to do that because... and there, he's, like, just did I, because
0: he's just a scruffy white guy at this point. Um, did I enjoy movie.
1: this episode? Yeah, actually I did. But in you highlighting how many things are crucial to the film school of John Waters and seeing what the director tried and to do, do. Yes. And is capable of doing
0: in her other the work. The things
1: that Legends stands against, or at least DCTV or modern media stands against, which is being working class. Um, being not white and being not like, being being cis. Too queer yep, not being too queer, not being because they almost try to be pithy with the whole plot of it being that the wife of the guy who runs the burger joint is like, this is our American dream, and like his business was failing and it was destroying our marriage, and this is gonna save our marriage, but and like in a lot of ways, she was almost like comically feminine like i well, mentioned so Ari. too. yeah i mean and so that was there at least but again I'm it there. was not hold on enough like oh, she sorry. treated the cocoon like a baby which again you could have almost made a commentary with but like she wasn't weird enough about it being a baby like if yeah. this were her she would have tried to breastfeed it
0: yeah like that's the thing you guys if we are we coward she would have absolutely had, we would have absolutely had a shot of her breastfeeding a thing or something like that. Like, it, um, like, literally, I can picture the setup shot, like, literally, like, tries to breastfeed, it doesn't work, tries to use it as a sex sexual apparatus, doesn't work either. Like, that would have been funny. We could have never gotten, you cannot no, even bring no, that. No, 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 now that I video. say it out
1: loud, I'm like, no, that's. So that gets, that's going to get the whole show canceled real fast.
0: Well, of course they wouldn't be able to do it, but I'm like, but that's how you would do it in. You if could you at least doing... make
1: a joke about it. Yes.
0: You can make Her a being joke like, about and
1: it. And I breastfed it for two weeks. That's the money. Like that. Something. Um, I will also say when the fucking thing comes out of its cocoon and also the whole time the cocoon is like dripping, it's like covered in fluid and like the fluid is the sauce that people are eating and they're eating it in a very like
0: visceral way where you're like, okay, so we, we have the idea here. We have an idea where it's like, it's interesting what we're able to get away with and what we're not, clearly. Because I think that part of it is also like, I'm not going to say that television is bad. I mean, I I, actually, no, I'm going to go a step further. I'm going to say the moving image and the printed word are the tools of the devil. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. (laughs) But like, no, I think that great television exists. I think that television can stand on its own as an artistic medium at this point in time. However, we also have to acknowledge that there's a certain- (laughs) DC's Legends of Tomorrow. We're not making art, people. Yes. I mean, that's, the, that's, yeah. Like, at this that's point, kind of...
1: I'm just, we're just trying to make hate media that it can be, that is slightly less offensive this episode than it was last
0: episode. Really? And is an active imperialist propaganda. So, like, so, you know, six, if we can, if we can limp towards that finish line, fine. Me but... watching Captain America 4 anyway, like, hell yeah, hell yeah, gay rights. <laughs> but, like, it is, it is something where, um, Listen, I know that Sam Bucky is is still a
1: tool of the of the fucking military industrial complex of these no, United man. States, but-, but isn't it also kind of what John Waters would want? We go now live to in show guests. <laughs> oh, God,
0: God, could you imagine? I mean, who- listen, if we just go bother, he still I think lives in Maryland for the Baltimore, so like we could like go to Katsucon probably show just go bother john waters and like hey old man what are you doing this weekend Why instead of going well?
1: to katsu Khan, we did go harass john waters
0: and <laughs> it was a more rewarding experience i mean honestly okay it's but more in line like, with queer history it's absolutely more in line with queer history but like that being said i completely lost my train of thought fuck um oh right okay so like there are some tv shows even some network television is allowed to get away with certain things but like legends is not the kind of show that can get away with these sort of things So I'm not even just saying that only premium television is allowed to push boundaries, but I think it's interesting seeing how much this show it's, if anything, this episode was a good encapsulation of how much this show is trying. I think despite it's myriad of fuck ups, we're not arguing against that. It's trying to do something sometimes, but it's getting shot down every single time. Like the fact that they reached out to this woman and were like, Hey, can you come direct an episode? Like at all, shows an interest in pursuing these avenues in some way, shape, or form. They're just not, like, allowed to... I I think in large part because they sort of get away with certain things in terms of having, like, or are viewed as, like, well, you guys get the queer cast, and it's, like, not... It's a pittance. But, like, they're viewed as, like, the weird cousin. They can get away with this much, but no further. So they can hire someone who's... uh protege of john waters but they can't actually let her do anything interesting so it's interesting to see where they reach and then where they trip up and i think this episode was a good example of like how that trip up at the very least gives us more meat to critique them um this isn't even like i can't believe they even bother trying to get like i'm like it's an interesting No, this is
1: actually we actually get a whole we're having a real This week, we get to have a real discussion discussion about legends instead of just us going, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh God, oh, God. And
0: I'm like, it's okay. And I think this is something I even struggle with in my own creative work. People sometimes don't want to talk about what they were aiming for in their work because they're like, well, that means everyone will know how and where I fell short. But I don't think there's anything wrong with falling short, especially in a collaborative process. One, everyone's going to fall short of their original creative vision sometimes. The thing that exists in your head will not be the same on the paper. It is what it is. But I think it's interesting in collaborative mediums like television to examine where and how and why that vision might fall short, because when you hand a project off to a bunch of people, there are a bunch of different reasons why it might not go as far as originally intended. I think there's actually a lot more to do with trying and failing and talking about where it tried and where it failed and why it might have tried and why it might have failed um, than say us having to spend an entire episode talking about the history of anti-Semitic conspiracy theories because Jesus fucking Christ, two people. Isn't
1: this more fun? Aren't you enjoying this it's way more, more?
0: I am absolutely enjoying this way more. Cause like when I when I'm researching John Waters' filmography and I'm looking up Cinema The Transgression stuff, I'm not bummed out relentlessly about the nature of humanity. Um, so that's good for me personally um i gay people we love you yes i I do also think it's interesting that a lot of the gender stuff to to bring it back more to the episode on we talk about fifty yep. pitch and we talk about the hyper femininity I mean again like the 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 wife was pretty much like I'm like if they could have gotten her, and I'm surprised they didn't try, maybe, I don't know, I don't know if she's still, she she should still be alive, but, like, I don't know if she's still acting. She was basically the mink stole character. Yeah,
1: Zari's outfit was also very mink stole as well. Yeah. um, Okay, hold on, I'm looking her up. No, she's still alive. She lives in, she was born in Baltimore as well, and she's 73.
0: she's 73. Well, again, like, I think it would have been funny to have her being a mother anyway and like a wife anyway and then just not commenting on it. That would have been cool. But like I don't know if she's still acting. But um We're not she's still allowed like- to
1: have mixed doll. We're not we're not there. We're not there. No.
0: But that's what again where it's like maybe somebody floated the idea of bringing in a couple other people cuz like John Waters used the same like five six because everybody was fucking around with their video cameras like there he used the same a group of actors in the Baltimore area one because they were all friends and two because it's probably all good like that's a, everybody didn't have no one had any money and we were making films for the fun of it um kind of vibe so I think it's interesting that they sort of gave a shout out to that very specific kind of character but uh couldn't get her for obvious reasons but like I do think that like when we talk about like the hyper femininity and the 50s kitsch and everything it was really good and spot on. But I also think it was really interesting how they did that with Nate because Nate was a gender question and Nate Haywood is always a fun one on this podcast. Gender? Nate Haywood? It, it's it's something that we kind of like run into a lot because this show really likes force-femming Nate Haywood. And it's really like... It's a Cowboy thing. Catboy Nate Haywood? I know we don't probably want to talk when too much a about- When uh, is the Nate
1: Haywood episode coming out?
0: Oh, God. Um, I know we don't want to maybe talk too much about Dominic Purcell's Instagram meltdown, because I'm just like, shut up, old man. Go back to bed. Um, God, God. Everybody- I, think- I got an- I got an
1: ask today that was like, I keep- The number of- The fact that ever since this has happened, like, you know who the real victim is here? I don't want to fucking hear anything because it's me. I'm the real victim here. I'm the one who has to, who everybody either comes to, to ask, what did he do? Or he should shut up. Or was it really that big of a deal? I don't. Everybody, you know who you're talking to when you talk about Dominic Purcell? Me. That's who has to deal with the fallout. The victim here.
0: (laughs) I will say, I'm just like men over 50 be saying this i'm sorry it's just it's just how they are like i can't even i'm just like oh you like i'm not like whatever i've i've seen and then people
1: are gonna be like oh but you give katie a hard time and like dominic purcell is not playing a queer character on a television show that constantly gets lauded for it's frankly usually underwhelming queer rep like i'm not saying what he did was good but he also is not not an inspiration to queer people Yes,
0: I'm just who is supporting a known transphobe. I'm just like, yeah, okay, whatever. I think I'm just like, and he really just be out here. He just, it was just I mean, so really clearly was. like, ah, oh, pop pop's drunk on Instagram again. Like, I can not only that because, and then the two posts he sandwiched it between were about
1: mental illness, and I'm like,
0: okay, so you so want to get
1: help instead of doing this on Instagram, Dominic Purcell?
0: No, no, unfortunately, the answer, okay. no, fortunately. The answer like, is no. Go fuck yourself. I truly. But um it is something okay. where I did find it fascinating that like just I don't know if it was deliberate. This was all secretly a marketing ploy to get people to watch the episode or something. I don't fucking know. Well I what I
1: love about this is remember when Brandon left and there was like a whole thing and Phil had to constantly comment on everything? Mm-hmm. And now Dominic has done this and like Phil's comment was I think everybody needs a break. Me included. <laughs> and there's always a door for people to come back.
0: I'm fucking tired. First off, you're tired. you are tired. You're tired.
1: Oh, you you're need the tired. break. Oh, Phil needs the break. Everybody,
0: I truly. I don't know what you're thinking. You guys have like eight months in between recording this podcast. Shut up. Do we? do we? Do we? Emotionally, no. Um, I we're never free. But okay, so like, I do think it's interesting. And again, I don't actually think it's deliberate, but I can't help but think it's very interesting that like. Those posts came out, like, right in the middle of Nate having, like, basically being femboy hooters. Like, he... Skip our name at the
1: door for a discount.
0: Yes. And so I think it's interesting because it's like, here on this podcast, we consistently interpret Nate Haywood as a trans man. Um, So it was... And I'm not saying, like, they did... Because it's like, no... In the context, unfortunately, of the canon of the show, he is regrettably a cis man. So I do think they. This is where is they were right
1: because now. remember when there was that picture of him riding a horse and Nate Nick Mick said, "Who's your sister?" I and it was a
0: deleted scene, but I think maybe that I don't know. I it's one of those things where it's like then we also have to get in the politics of an incredibly cisgender man, the uh, the most backyard grill, gold chain, Saint Christopher medallion having <laughs> fucking ass i hate him every day yeah, yeah. <laughs> just yeah. him. He just, he's, oh god so you know we have to talk we would have to talk about the logistics of like that and i'm like i, I it's it's 11 o'clock at night i don't the I time fucking, the time the overwhelming time pressure so we don't have time to talk about that but we do have time to talk about how i do think this is where they were trying to do something interesting with gender because nick zano as nate has been forced fed by the show a lot. He is the danger prone Daphne of the show. He is consistently tied up, kidnapped, mind controlled, hit on by various men. Uh, fucking i'm sure there's shit i'm missing he's but he's the one that gets gets fucked with the most and so to have him and and sort of gets put in the what 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 is sort of regarded as and i know it's not blah 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 sexism but like whatever but like in this context of like tv it's like usually the girl's role to get kidnapped and shit like this and he's constantly out here getting kidnapped getting hit and hit on mind controlled gender is over and so I do think Nick's that there was it, a deliberate. Do you deliberate think that Nick Zano
1: attempt. used girl power when he got kidnapped and strapped to a table? No, not that time. The other
0: time. <laughs> no, the other time. Seriously. Um, but it is something where I think about, like especially because like the idea of the roller skating rate waitress at the drive through is such a, you know, girl. I actually
1: wanted to mention because um. I thought about Zari's outfit, and I was like, you know what? In this outfit, she kind of looks... It's also very Jacqueline Onassis.
0: Yes. Oh, God, yeah.
1: And so I was like, oh, I mean... Because it made me realize, and I'm sure we've discussed this before, but I was like, oh, you know who also really... um relies on John Waters' school
0: is the Venture fucking brothers. Oh my god, absolutely. I'm genuinely shocked he hasn't cameoed on shit before. I mean, I'm honestly, they probably know
1: each other in real
0: life. I could I absolutely believe that. Um, and 100%. that being said,
1: um, I went to the Japanese grocer and I got this thing called strawberry milk, which is next to the tea milks and it's in a can and we're gonna see what it tastes like. One second, please.
0: Hope it tastes like pink. I will say it's, it's it does. Like it tastes exactly, other, it tastes, it tastes like
1: pink to an alarming degree.
0: Excellent. If they don't know each other, they definitely know someone who knows him. Like there is maybe one degree of separation of, of between them. At I mean,
1: we all know how
0: gay people work. I mean, yeah, that's also fair. Um, but All gay do-
1: people, all gay people really do know each other. And I know what you're thinking, all of us, even me. And it's like, you will eventually know someone who knows someone else is the point we're
0: yeah. trying oh, to make. Yes. That's just how it gets. Even, like, even at this point, like, it's one of those things where it's like, uh, yeah, by virtue of being at FlameCon more, I'm like, oh, I know that person who knows that person. Like, you just, it, it turns into a thing. In any case, um, this is the benefit of going out and making friends with gay people in real life and not looking at Twitter discourse on the internet, guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, but it's been hard to time. do this
1: that past year, so...
0: I know, but in general, in a general sense, I want you to know there's life outside of the discourse on the internet. I promise. No, there but, um, isn't. Um, no, I mean, also, alternatively, no, there's not. But um, I do um, think that it was, the, the the weird, the fact that they were deliberately trying to feminize, it was maybe the most extreme and direct they've done it, especially in terms of like, when we talk about women being viewed as pieces of meat and objects of consumption and stuff, which stuff that seems very hokey like, yeah, okay, Gloria Steinem talk. which But, like, it, it it's kind of, you know, like, we still have kind of the way that, you know, you see it more in advertising than you do in, like, actual, like, media and television. But, yeah, the idea of women as objects to be consumed is still something that, like, we sort of deal with on a day-to-day basis culturally. So to have Nate being a femboy hooters in an episode about consumption and the filth of consumption and devouring like it's like there's there's threads where i'm like they're clearly tr- they're doing their fucking best to send out signal Which flares also then
1: up. begs the question like okay so have you guys been doing this on purpose with nate and other episodes or is this director just coming and like i know you guys keep doing this by accident i'm gonna do it on purpose
0: that's true and i mean because that's the thing is this is taking it to what i would argue is probably the most direct extreme we've seen on it so far um And I don't know if maybe someone on the show is just horny for Nate in these situations specifically, I guess. I feel like they're maybe trying to do it in a very shallow way. Isn't it funny that the muscular strongman, why are you looking at me like that? Am I getting called out for something, dear? No. (laughs) You just gave me a look when I said they have a fetish for this. And you gave me a look and I'm like, what the fuck did I do? I
1: I am just sitting here. trying to do the kitty thing where I like put my head up. When you uh, scratched my chin and I just kept looking at I was you so and then you said the center, so I said, Hey, I'm could you like... guys keep your fucking fur play off the podcast? You have, we have no, children that you're... listen to this show, apparently. No. Oh, God. Cut that. No. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm not cutting anything.
0: That's filth, baby. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> you know what? That's our excuse to have an unedited <laughs> podcast this episode. This is podcasting filth um but no that was not no but when we pet the cats they'll like lift their chin up a little more so we can damien especially loves chin scritches um i thought i was just being called out um okay what the fuck was i talking about jesus fucking christ um nate haywood is a whore but i feel like they may have been doing it in a way of isn't it so fun and transgressive and quirky that on this show with a female lead shock and awe um we're having the man getting tied up and being put in these situations and needing to be saved and like very like fucking, it was, I just, every, I closed my eyes and I saw the fucking strong female character image that sexism is over one. And I'm like, Kate Beaton is the gift that keeps on giving God bless. Um, it, I think they may have been doing it like that. And then Rachel Talalay came in, looked at that and went, Okay, so we're going to take that to its logical extreme. And then we ended up here. That's my theory.
1: I was going to say, if I have to pick a Venture Brothers character that would be from, like, on Legends and then to the Venture Brothers, it would be Nate. Because <laughs> he's yeah, just, it. it's so, he's so quintessentially the, the exact kind of character. They're, like, you know how they put cap their Captain America stars and garters? Yeah. Which is just Caption America wearing, like, a garter belt.
0: Well, you know that line in Next Wave where uh, Monica is talking to... What is Next Wave? Next Wave is a six-issue miniseries written by Warren Ellis during the Civil War era uh, that is basically written as Oh, Monica Rambeau. Yes. Um... Written as a side story, sort of fucking around. These really, it's really just Warren Ellis fucking around in the middle of Civil War for six issues and not giving a shit. And what's funny is it's. And again, I know Warren Warren like, yeah, fuck, fuck. But like, I'm just. So it's about actually that. good. It's uh, listen, okay. Warren Ellis is bad. We know this. If you don't know this, Warren Ellis is a sex pest. Um, so but next wave is interesting for having been written in the middle of the circle jerk that was Civil War and was. Being very transgressive and irreverent and fun and fucking around and doing things that you basically weren't allowed to do in comics at that point in time. And people liked it so much that even though it technically wasn't supposed to be in the main continuity, a lot of the character stuff that he did with it got sort of moved gently into the main continuity. Um... It is notable there's a bunch of good stuff in it but there was a line monica has where she's like i see a lot of men dressed up like captain america at pride parades sometimes i sometimes i think captain like like something where it's like captain america also goes to pride parades and it's done in such a non like it's not like the joke is like haha captain america's gay and that's gross they're just like yeah gay men really like captain america captain america also probably gay because they were talking about like which avengers are gay and monica's like yeah captain america and so i'm just like yeah, I think that that through line got us to Stars and Garters, too, especially. So I just want to I'm like, oh right, here's yeah, all that. Yeah. your microphone oh, you well a... that
1: makes that makes perfect sense. All right. So let's go now into question and answer.
0: oh shit. okay. We actually did I was wondering we should probably leave I think doing a q and a episode. Would be fun, even like even if it's direct. Either, either they fuck up and we need to quit an episode, and we're quitting in protest, and we do a Q and A, or we do one like right after the mid season finale, um, and we leave it open until leave then. It
1: because we've actually we have a lot of time. We have put a lot of time into this episode, so we could honestly wait on question and answer and then come back at another time. All right, right. so we'll wait on question and answer, and instead let's do one
0: for the hell of it. Okay. Yeah, we'll wait. Like, we'll we'll save it. We'll save it. Keep sending in questions. And we'll maybe just do a big one.
1: So a lot of people get upset when they learn a show, film, person, etc. has a problematic or harmful element. Once you learn that element, you can never go back to the sort of mindless enjoyment of the property you once had. So my question is, outside the fact that it's important to recognize the harm these negative aspects can have, is always being aware of the, most harmful, of the most harmful elements of a property necessary to create the best and most engaging fan-slash-viewer experience. Um, And I, well, listening to that question and reading it to you out loud, I think Oof. in order to create the most engaging fan-viewer experience, we have to consider what we mean by problematic because, yes, being aware of if something is created by, for example, a sex pest, Is crucial or Dar is the same. That's why I didn't just talk about the next point and not drop that in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is actually kind of relevant because we were talking, we just happened to be talking about Warren Ellis. And like I actually kind of I happen to know about this a little bit before the news broke around when he was doing the last the the season three of Castlevania because I don't want to name names because I like I just don't want to like get anyone in trouble. But like I happen to know someone who is knows a lot of people in comics and so i happened to be because i mentioned like really liking warren ellis and they were like oh um i have it on good authority that he's like a sex pest so like don't go see him at cons and i was like okay and i trusted this person so i took their word to it but i also was like okay well i'm just i don't have i literally didn't know anything other than they warned me to stay away from them stay away from him sorry Um, so it's not like I could have, I didn't know anyone who'd been personally bothered by him. I didn't, it wasn't like I was like, I sat on allegations and did nothing. I just happened to have a friend warn me to stay away from him at conventions, basically. Um, so that, which is still important, which is still important. And like, listen, we talk about the missing, if you, I would actually recommend in, in this specific context of what I just talked about, if you Google the missing stare article, it's, in, an interesting read when we talk about like what are like whisper networks. And these are sort of what happen a lot in comics specifically where everybody, a lot of these people, it's an open secret. Um, like when Eddie Berganza got fired from DC com, everyone fucking knew for literally years and years and years that he was a piece of shit, but nobody fucking did anything about it because comics can't police itself. And it was literally took Buzzfeed news, breaking the story for them to go, Okay, public scrutiny is on us now. We have to drop him. So when people say it'll be resolved behind closed doors, don't ever fucking believe them. Take it public. Make them make them fucking pay for it. Um, people will only kowtow to public pressure in positions like that. You have to put the heat on them. In any case, um. That's one of those things where it's like, when I literally, I like why I felt like I have had to bring up that it's like, I'm not giving a tacit endorsement of Warren Ellis, because I'm talking about Next Wave as like a person. Um I actually was like, my immediate go to was like, please understand that if you like something that has problematic elements in it, this does not accurately reflect or gauge your morality. Like, that's my big thing. But then this episode, can you actually repeat the last sentence of the question? Because that was the totally. thing. This is interesting. Totally. I want to talk about that more.
1: Okay. Once you learn that element, you can never go back to the sort of mindless enjoyment of the property you once had. So my question is, outside of the fact that it's important to recognize the harm these negative aspects can have, is always being aware of the most harmful elements of a property necessary to create the best slash most engaging uh, fan viewer
0: experience. This is that's what's interesting because the first part I think can be wrapped up very neatly in what you watch and do are not reflective of your morality, um, good or bad, so don't worry about it. um, you know, just 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 like, the second part of like what creates the most fulfilling experience, that's what's really interesting to me because I would argue that you can hit a point or you're, you're, you're beating this thing to death. I have listened in on discussions or participated in discussions where I have felt like I think we're beating this horse a little too hard to death. Um, And obviously, everybody's line is going to be different. But after a certain point, when we talk about literally engaging with the work and not critiquing the work, because if you're critiquing it, there's really no such thing as beating a horse too dead because you can critique it however the fuck you want. You might not be right, but you know, um there is a certain point where it's like you have to be like, is it worth engaging with it if I'm oh this if I'm looking this hard to find this much problematic shit in it? Because then just after a certain point, don't engage with it. I'm not gonna be fucking sitting here watching. Like, I don't know. Supergirl? Yeah. I was like, I was literally like, I like I'm not going to fucking sit and watch like, like, hate, actually hateful, violent, sh- not violent, like that, like violent as in like violent against minorities um, and oppressed groups kind of content and go, wow, this is really problematic. And here's how, because yes, yeah, yeah, it is. Um, so after a certain point, if you're finding this much problematic content in it, just disengage. Like, literally just go, okay, I'm done. Don't talk about it. Block it. Mute it. Block anyone who talks about it. Say,
1: as a Jewish person, it does become very difficult when you're seeing a lot of people, for example, watch, like, WandaVision.
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Or The Boys.
0: Oh, boy.
1: Because... The Boys has a lot of basically anything that takes a character of Superman or Captain America and is like, what if he was bad, actually? And I think I'm going to sidestep Impossible in this because that's more of a parent narrative and they just kind of used Superman. Like, he's very much not. Well, that's first boasty. of all, he's voiced by J.R. Simmons. So how can I stay mad? That's more Therefore. about being an abusive parent. Yeah. But there are a lot of elements of anti-Semitism in a character like Homelander, for example.
0: Yeah, if you're gonna or... if you're gonna take Superman and make him a Nazi, you should go to hell. I just feel like so... I know I know we talk about not judging morality, but it's like no in this one in this one like fuck fuck you for that. That's like but that's actively malicious and and like again, I don't know the moral the moral viewpoints or whatever of someone who just happens to watch the boys. I'm not That's going
1: through. I mean, I have friends who have watched WandaVision um, and who have, you know, donated to a Brahmani, um, help funds um, sort of as a form of reparations. And like, do I think they're a bad person? No. Am I annoyed that they watch this show? Um, yes. Um, and as a person who is friends with them, you know, you are sort of if someone is engaging with content you're uncomfortable with. You are allowed to not engage with it when they talk about it.
0: Oh, yeah. You don't um, have to it that makes you uncomfortable. But I
1: also don't think, I mean, everybody is going to have their own limit. Yeah. So what we have to say, especially in context of that... Is not something you should then take. And like, if you're having a disagreement with a friend, be like, well, these two podcasters, like, God, like please, please no. never use us in any argument. This is a ding dong podcast.
0: No, we don't. And you will yeah, lose.
1: Somebody said, like, they're like, I get all my, and I'm like,
0: oh God, please don't. But I thought like, you were
1: being, I hope you're being, person who said you get all your news from this podcast.
0: I pray that you are being sarcastic. I, I, please, 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 please. You owe that to me. Yeah. But like, it's something where, cause I know we've talked about that before, but when it talks about like engagement and like, if I, There are certain things where it's like nobody likes to know the bad stuff about the things they like. Like when I like actually and I hate to keep harping on Warren Ellis but like I Please go ahead. I really did like a lot of his work. A lot. And like I don't I don't think that's like a good feeling. I don't, I think we don't, I think framing it as positive is kind of unfair because it's not like I was like, hooray, I know this awful thing about a creator I enjoy. I can't wait to apply this retroactively to all of their work. Like it's that's not, not your
1: fault if someone is a shitty person. That's That's it. first and foremost. Don't hold that. You don't hold tell. yourself
0: accountable for your favorite creator's decisions. Like that doesn't, unless you're blindly supporting them, then it doesn't fucking matter. Um, I mean
1: even Tim there was a band he really liked and he's like I wish they didn't suck and I was like oh what did they do assuming they would be like Nazis because he likes metal music and then it turns out that like the lead guitarist or the lead singer is like no a convicted pedophile at this point yeah he had child he was convicted on charges of child pornography it is a lost profits yes
0: yes because I actually remember hearing about that okay And Um, Tim is
1: like, that's one of the only times I know that like, because he still had iTunes, I think he still has iTunes, but like he went to his iTunes library, and he just deleted the entire catalog. Because it's also one of those things where like, if Tim has a friend over, he doesn't know if that friend is a survivor or not. And if he's still listening to this music.
0: Yeah, and actually, genuinely. That's and really, so we
1: do have to put this at I sort of an even Tim an even
0: Tim knows point, but well, like there, I, being I think convicted. There are also lines, and I think that's yeah, and everyone again, as we said, that's a everyone, very
1: again, hard line.
0: Yeah, that's like there's like it's like there's there's always and we've talked about like it's there's always the the, the 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 P word slash Nazi exemption where it's like no, that's a pretty much a hard like no, even associating with their work is like shitty, don't do it, but like. We unfortunately have diluted the word problematic to go from someone like that to someone drew fan art I don't like. And we also have to understand that while sometimes call-out posts and stuff can be super useful, abusers can use the tactics that their victims use as well and will often actually do so in order to manipulate the truth and uh, garner sympathy. So don't believe everything you read. Don't feel, ne- don't feel it necessary to involve yourself in allegations where you don't personally know everyone, anyone involved and start taking sides, which becomes a little bit different when it comes to public figures, because you should believe victims speaking publicly. Um, But like when it comes to like a call out, because I know that some, some of this post is also asking in the context of fandom drama. So it's like, hey, if you're seeing interpersonal drama that you're not a part of, you don't have to feel engaged to, to talk about it um, or take sides in it. Um if you're not comfortable doing so, because we've a noticed
1: path. a lot of these call out trends also um very much come from the like this is something that happened in my friend group where it's like yeah. well that's sorry I that didn't... happened but you can't make general can't problematic make assumptions
0: yeah um but like it's something where it's like, I'm not saying that learning these to to go back to because that that was the thing about this question that really like, like, I was like, oh, shit, yeah. that's a really fun new angle. I'm not saying that it's a pleasant experience to learn bad things about re- creators you respect. It fucking sucks dog shit. I don't think it actually improves your experience of the work in any way, shape or form at all. However. You're right. You can't unknow it. And. It's more I think we have to reframe this more and how to cope with having to do the caveats where it's like I'll still talk about like I reference next wave in this. I do still understand the value of talking about work. And obviously, again, there are hard exceptions. Like I think that Woody Allen films should should die. Woody Allen should just die because it's fucking die already. And his film should be burned. The film should be burned. They're Are you online. advocating
1: for the burning of cinema? Yes. Yes. Just, just, I advocate just, for the burning of books. I advocate for the burning of cinema. I hate free speech.
0: I think at this point, it's like, well, you burned all our books. Um, You burned a bunch of books on trans health back in the 30s. So we're just going to start burning straight people's shit and seeing what happens. Because, um, you know,
1: Professor Grace Lavery said, like, had said that some woman who wrote a book about our daughters being, like, trans, like, our daughters are being turned into trans men. And Grace is like, this book should be burned. And everyone is like, this trans es Jew advocates for yeah. book burning and hate- and, like, and I'm like, well, no, she's I- right.
0: Well, when you have like I was actually thinking about the Turner Diaries and like active neo-Nazi propaganda, like does that have a right to exist? I think no. of it advocating for the not right of others to exist. That you know what I mean? Advocating for the active yeah. death of other people. No, it shouldn't exist. Thank you so much for asking. Um there is, you know, the paradox of tolerance. This is a common sort of logical fallacy that, you know, uh, we run into. But personally, you don't have to apologize for liking certain things, but it's also something where it's like, and to get a little bit of a personal and to get a little bummer. But when you were like, Tim deleted all that stuff because he didn't know if anyone would come over and like it would like upset them. Like I'm not saying that you have to feel bad for liking it. But when you talk about like your friends and like disengaging where it's like, if you know that it bothers someone in your friend group or someone you interact with and they have a personal problem with it, doesn't make you a bad person to engage with things that are problematic because everything is problematic. We've already been over this, and and to know that, I think if you're going to, to just consume it, you don't have to know all the gory details. It's fine. You're just watching it. To critique it, you probably should, and I think that's a good like hard line to 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 talk about it fully. Yes, you probably should know, but whether or not that ruins the work for you or makes you want is to your personal decision, your personal preference. However, if you know that someone in your friend group has a problem with it to like at like at the point of causing them distress don't talk about it in front of them be a good friend just disengage respectfully as long as they understand where your line is and that it's different from theirs you can do the same in return don't be like all my friends in high school who kept talking about uh a no. voice actor who i won't name even though i was um harassed by him at cons and i just was sort of like hey i fucking hate it here um, don't violate your friends' boundaries. That's a pretty, pretty, remember how I said about how what you watch doesn't make you a good or bad person, uh, how you treat your friends does. So, you know, since there's apparently teenagers listening to this podcast, I'm doing my best to give you friendship advice now that I wish I had in high school. No,
1: let me get on the horse, stop shooting at me. I'm on the horse.
0: Oh, I thought you meant like, I thought I'm like, oh, are you getting in your high? Like, I thought you meant metaphorically. The, oh, I really yes, but also
1: thing. let me get, oh, was this, oh, did I steal someone's horse? Okay, well it looked claimable from where I was. It didn't have a Yeah, sign. I
0: think I think it's fair to draw the line between consumption and critique. Like you I, I truly God, I wish I could turn my brain off. I just I don't even mean it in a braggy way. media
1: Largely like
0: Tim does, like sync drain. I, again, the fact that Tim literally watched all the venture brothers and just went, Hey, that was pretty good, and then I was just like, you know, I don't know what to do. Um, or, like, I I actually watched, um, a video, like, uh, Dan Olson was talking about nostalgia. The Nostalgia Critic viewing the wall was so fucking weird, where it's, like, that's the sort Um, of thing... I also
1: had one other point to
0: make. Yeah, so I'm just talking about bullshit now. You can cut it. Oh, yeah, go ahead.
1: Um, um, no, it was just, like, the reason Ari and I will say stuff like this is because like for example i last week said something about legends being anti-semitic and then i sort of was like i don't feel like discussing this but a lot of other discussions of it started being had and i'm not saying i'm the only person that people get legends news from but i think we all know
0: and you're the one running their pr department at this point unofficially
1: i am owed oh you need a break i need money
0: yeah that's fair i am owed compensation (laughs) You may be entitled to financial compensation, et cetera.
1: So with that being said, um, there is also sort of a thing that I feel and Ari and I both feel, and it's not like, oh, who watches the Watchmen? And we're doing some kind of noble good because we're not. (laughs) But there is so little actual criticism of media that happens anymore because companies are so online and they want to protect their image. And there's so much money that passes hands so that all the reviews are positive. And, oh, they spend so much money on this film. So it has Game to be good.
0: is a fucking racket, guys. And we're so not saying that, like, it. women
1: are ruining games. We're, first of all, men are ruining what games. I, like, when I like, said they racket, ruin I mean, everything.
0: No, hold on. But, like, it's literally like a mob racket. Like, literally, yeah. they're not allowed to say bad things about video games because who's paying for them to get advanced copies? the companies, video so, games yeah where it's like advanced advanced playing and all that shit like didn't bethesda literally tried to cut off certain companies from having like pre like pre-release copies to review and shit like that like it's a fucking racket but okay sorry
1: um same thing and like this is what happens when you let two companies own 80 percent of our media
0: uh-huh. but
1: critique is so necessary you can watch something and you can enjoy it like i enjoyed this week's legends and still critique it because nobody else is anymore.
0: No. And that's kind of, I think part of the thing is like, we do this shit sort of as underground as we do, because like there is some power in being underground where it's like, it's actually, cause I was funny. I was looking through John Waters cameos and stuff. And I was like, and then like, no disrespect to him, make your, make your money, get your, get your, you know, recognize and achieve your vision I'm not being like, he's a sellout, but I'm like, there is something kind of sad to how culture takes something with teeth and pulls them out one by one. Where it's like, the man went from making the most transgressive, like, infamous, grotesque, filthy cinema to fucking cameos. Like, to, to the point that, oh, I Loved You in Pink Flamingos was a throwaway line in the fucking road chip. like. You hit a point where there's something kind of sad about seeing how, like, I mean, one, part of it is just culture moves on. Things that were shocking 40 years ago are not really shocking anymore. But I think there's something to be said for when we talk about corporate media and how everything is kind of like that. It doesn't get that way by accident. It gets that way by seeking out what's transgressive and interesting and unique and fucking consuming it. So, like, so much meat. And I think that's important to keep in mind when we look at even a lot of fandom issues where, you know, we talk about the commodification and commercialization of fandom and like there's a whole, there's a thousand other things we could talk about, about that, but like maybe we will later. I'm so tired. But um, I think it's important to hold on to what makes something transgressive and to, be aware of the larger culture's attempts to nullify, change, neuter, or subvert that for their own gain. And critique, genuine, honest critique, is a valuable tool to keep that transgression alive and well and mean something. And that's not just me g- hyping myself up because I have a podcast that complains about a shitty TV show. I mean, in the have- broader sense. So yeah, it is good to critique. It is, not, it is good to do anything other than blindly consume. It is good to not let neoliberal capitalism have you defining your morality by what you consume. You um, also,
1: however, have to take a look when you're making critique and ask yourself, because we did talk about white sapphism, for example, yeah. here. Um, have I been trained to believe that this critique, this is critique, like in the example of a ship we won't name, where it's really just supporting whiteness, cisness, oh, yeah. the cult of white womenhood, all of that stuff. Because critiquing a show, for example, because some white ship isn't happening, not transgressive.
0: C- critiquing something else does also mean critiquing yourself. Correct. Examining your own biases and prejudices, how you got to the opinion you got, because you didn't just get to that opinion in a vacuum. You got to it through the filter of your lived experiences, good and bad, and your you know, your, 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 you, your individual complex play of identity and how you see the world and how it shapes you. And uh, that, that will influence how you critique. And it's good to keep, I mean, I guess basically the best advice I can give you on this front is be open to new experiences and points of view, be empathetic, listen to other people, think about where your ideas are coming from, why you're having them, how they make you feel. Read and a book. Read, read, read a book. Read, read, read books, please. God, read, read books. Um I would. Read I would, would books. Read many a book. Read many books. And I guess that's, I think, I think, I think that's, yeah. That's it. Because uh,
1: otherwise what you're going to end up with, and I'm going to loop us right back in, is that, you know, every DC TV show this year feels a need to do uh, an episode that talks about police brutality and Black Lives Matter. Which is, again... So- Common oh. commodification of a movement. They can defeat
0: it by putting it on TV. They defeat it by putting it on TV. And they do that thing that I want to talk about. Because, again, it seems very Anyways, obvious. Anyways, the whole point oh, right character
1: on. is Killer Frost. A.K.A. Frost. Wait. A.K.A. Caitlin split in two. And she was on trial for her crimes against humanity. And she went to jail. Which, thank God. But, like, second off. Listen, I'm an abolitionist. So I think that I personally should get to put Danielle allegedly and the character of caitlin snow and her alter ego frost not allegedly because they're fictional to the electric chair that's fair
0: um does I anybody also- know where
1: i can get an electric chair
0: we could probably jerry rig one in any case i do want to <laughs> i do want to say like on that note though in terms of like when they put it when it's also like just to go back to one last point of cultural critique that did remind me you remember right after george, george floyd's murder um yes. when they started being like i'm not going to voice this black character anymore because i would be taking that role away from black people kind of like cultural stuff where they like banned you know they 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 they, they removed some stuff off the air some voice actors stepped down some shit like that yep. like nobody was asking for that nobody wanted it no one needed it that's not the point that was you know i i a lot of people were citing malcolm x talking about how they do this shit well he didn't say Mm -hmm. like that but like paraphrasing how they do these minor cultural changes to make like people arguing for liberation sound like they're fucking crazy people or like they're whiny like eschew snowflakes who need to be in their hug boxes on tv or whatever the fuck like don't fall for that shit just because they're doing Black Lives Matter. They're trying to make it seem ridiculous and overwrought and also the problem of superheroes and things in TV um, instead of real things that happen to real people every fucking day. And so don't fucking fall for it. Please remember that this is not actually meaningful critique or examine it. It literally cannot be. The system that Cape Media especially and specifically exists in Will not allow it. It is not meaningful. Do not give them a single fucking inch of credit for it. They have not done the work.
1: Because I got a comment on that post I made about how thinking that Falcon and the Winter Soldier could actually have any real impact is laughable. And someone is like, well, you obviously didn't watch the series. And it's like, no, I watched the series and I'm still correct. Because it's not going to. It's just because the system appeases you
0: doesn't make it not the system, my friend. Yes and so it don't don't give them a fuck understand that any sort of acknowledgement on television is an attempt to defang the movement to make it seem like a like something it isn't uh to try to make it fit a narrative when it's a thousand times more complicated and a thousand times more necessary and you know to make this stuff seem like it's the realm of supervillains when it's like nope it, this it, it's it's re- this is just really fucking happening every day so Keep that in mind, too, when it comes to cultural critique. Sometimes when people bring up these points, they're being done in such a way that is meant to make people doing honest critique um, or actual, like, real-life political activism seem like crazy people. Um, So keep that in mind as well, I guess. Uh, Speaking of that,
1: I kind of got pissed because I was thinking about, like, if Lita actually did get pregnant and it's not like a sudden like sims 3 alien pregnancy you're pregnant one second then here's the baby she yeah, I think as, really as a character she would get an abortion and mick would support her in that i mean and genuinely- that is not a statement and also and like just in case you're wondering you are not allowed to make statements about abortion on television or in film despite the fact that it's literally the
0: fucking law it's literally the fucking law. I'm like, remember how like there was an abortion on Maud in like the 70s and it was insanely yep. controversial? And then we haven't done anything like that since. There was, was
1: a film about a girl driving across state lines to get an abortion. But um, it literally. did do the thing where it portrays her one Black friend as like, really religious and not wanting her to do it. So it's like... I mean, every-
0: swing and a miss. But it's one of those things where it's like, that literally still is like the... For example, it's forty fucking years old. I
1: think we have one Degrassi episode
0: as well. Maybe. Like it it's Where, just something. And we'll so never remember, talk about.
1: Legends will bill itself, you know, they got this person. They're like, we have queer characters. I think they want to think themselves transgressive, because they even did a video with Keto, like, oh having a diverse writer's room is important. Um, not Rachel though. She's a anti-Semitic slur. Um but <laughs> That you're a member of the writer's room at this point. I mean, yeah, R and Way kind of by proxy. You're, we're not stuck in here with you, etc., etc. Oh, truly. But <laughs> all the different things I observed to make Elliot Bouchard suffer. Elliot Bouchard? <laughs> is that not his name? You <gasps> were about to say Elliot from the Flophouse, and I was like, what the hell is Elliot Kalen done to you? Yeah, Elliot Kalen is the avatar of the fucking eye. (laughs) (laughs) Right, Legends likes to bill itself as transgressive, but it will not have an episode about abortion. And it will not break the limits of, like, okay, Supergirl has a trans character. So if we were to have any trans characters, that would make us like a queer show, TM. And we're like a show with queer elements.
0: And it's like, thanks, guys. we feel queer. Do you feel respected yet? And the answer is no, never, not by We're this. We're a show way. with
1: queer elements, but not with. We don't actually, or like how they would not give Charlie and Astra a lot of plot because then they would be like, "Oh well, this makes the show too much for a black audience instead of a general audience," which is insanity. But is Remember how television did actually that thinks
0: good about that. in always sunny, and the gang tries desperately to well, win yes an they award. do. And it's just like, oh god, that's. I really- do. Especially because when I said to him, "It's really how it happens." It's really, it's like, yeah, it's fucked up. That's a whole other kettle of fish. So so.
1: no, they're really not that transgressive. Um, which I guess is, I guess is all of our faults when you really think about it. But uh, Zari, one point zero,
0: something about society,
1: tm. Zari, first of all, you live in a society. I live in debt to a raccoon, and um. Oh, Zari 1.0 made a, made an appearance at the end of the episode and she was in the totem and she was able to split it for Behrad and Zari 2.0, which makes me think the whole reason I brought up Caitlyn is because I think we're going to start possibly switching between the Zaris. That's
0: also true. Can I talk about that briefly? And I really am so fucking tired. Yeah, and please, i would w- only talk about this now because I said this was a problem I had with the show and this episode. Yeah. And so I... It annoys me so much that they literally did a magical hand wave of, oh, and there's two totems now. Because it's like, okay, so you could have done literally, like, I can think of immediately off the top of my head, three different plot lines you could have done from the siblings having to share the totem and the relationship. Then it becomes
1: too much of a non-white person show.
0: Yeah. It literally would have been so much, just anything. Any modicum of effort. effort, Any mod, any Fucking anything 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 there's you could have done any just do fucking something with it so to have that kind of hand wave was just so exhausting and disappointing like it's nice that they both have powers don't get me wrong but just from a writing standpoint so you literally did it like you just like magic hand waved the problem away that could have been interesting for at least another couple episodes of like strife and
1: last season where they're like oh the tarazi siblings are gonna have conflict just kidding it's one episode because we need to get back to whatever the fuck sarah's shoved her fist into this week let me ask you something if ava got married to a cardboard cutout would any of you notice no. if they were both cardboard cutouts and they got married would anyone notice would I, I ask either. you ladies and gentlemen of the jury is this does this look like a man who has really had oh,
0: all he, he can eat, eat? I mean, if Ava got married to that cardboard cutout of Edward Cullen, Robert Pattinson is Edward Cullen that one of my friends in high school had that scared the shit of her mom. Because every time she would come into the room and the lights are off, it's just this horrible fucking shadow beats in the corner. And I know what you're thinking. Why are you friends with someone in a cutout? It was a bit. I think someone got it for them as a joke. I don't, I don't fucking remember. It's been years. Um, if Ava got married to that, would anyone notice? And the answer is no. Um, it, wait, you know,
1: wait, wait. Last thing, last thing. This is how we're going to end the episode. Because I yeah. have been thinking about times in DC TV where one person has interrupted another person's wedding. Um, This is unrelated to Avalance getting married. I'm definitely not planning anything. But remember how, I mean, and yes, a lot of West Allens were rightfully upset that Elicity, which is a couple with two white people, one man and his hostage... Or um, sort of stole, got married at the same time West Allen did and sort of like stole that from them at the end of that crossover, which was just an yeah, anti-Semitic was- mess to begin with. But I've realized...
0: No, not you. Not, I'm not saying no to that and saying no I to my I've realized there
1: might have been a big misunderstanding because here's the thing, is when Diggle goes to marry Barry and Iris, Felicity asks him to wait and I think says marry us too. And I think she was trying... She was trying to marry Iris. She was like, "Oh, if anybody if if we're all getting married to Iris." Over oh, And, and there was Iris. a huge misunder and there was a huge and tragic misunderstanding. Oh no. Yeah. And I believe I mean, this because she probably wanted it nullified and Iris convinced her to stay for the insurance money. And Iris probably said, and I quote, "I mean, how long could that idiot stay alive for anyway?" And three years later, he was dead, so... Yeah, live your dreams. We call um, that financing. And
0: that's, that's, that's called a five-year plan. Um, and sticking to it. But, uh, yeah. Listen,
1: Barry may very well be be dead at the end of The Flash, which means... I mean, like, listen, Felicity apparently in 20 years has to go guard the fucking Eternity Gates to make sure Oliver stays in hell or whatever.
0: I mean, she could just be like Sailor Pluto, it's fine but oh, right now have, in the current I, timeline on, stop because stop, that's actually the first anime reference we've made all episode we got one in. We Air got noises okay so we're ending there we're ending there we got it good night
1: all right we did it good night everybody
0: good Night, everybody <laughs> i do want to hear what you have to say but i was like no that's that's too good not to end on